Hello, I am Riesel Schusterman, and you're listening to episode 36 of A Positive Podcast. A few days ago, the night before Yom Kippur, I had the honor to sit down with my father-in-law, Rabbi Gershon Schusterman, who I call my Schwer, and interview him on his latest project, the book that he authored titled, Why God, Why? How to Believe in Heaven When You're Going Through Hell. It's an interesting book, and many people are going to find this comforting and helpful. It's not a fun read, yet it's a chock full of thought-provoking ideas that will have you nodding your head in agreement. See, my father-in-law, he knew all the textbook answers when he was comforting people in his community that had gone through difficult, difficult challenges. And these people who asked him, where is God? If God is so loving, how could this have happened to me? But when his own wife passed away, leaving him a 38-year-old widower with 11 children to raise, he found himself reeling, and it led him to his own personal quest for answers to these questions. This book is written for anyone who has endured challenges or loss, and it's a sensitive guide that's going to help people work through their grief while not becoming stuck in their grief. It will help people grow towards a hopeful, future-oriented perspective because life is meant to be lived. And it's going to help you realize that souls live eternally in a higher plane, and it's ultimately going to help people develop a personal relationship with God, with Hashem, that opens a channel for both challenging communication as well as comforting resolutions. And I encourage all of you listening to read this book, to purchase this book, even if you're not going through devastating challenges and struggles. This kind of information, this kind of knowledge will help you be able to weather any upcoming obstacle or difficulty and challenge. This book is currently available to be purchased on kahutonline.com and it will be available on Amazon Mertashem right after Sukkis. You can check the show notes to see information on the links till you can purchase the books and please go ahead go out there and purchase the book because I think you will enjoy it. So sit back, relax, and be ready to listen to an interesting interview with my father-in-law. I finished Why God Why this past Shabbos, and I really enjoyed it. And today I have the distinct privilege to sit down once again with my father-in-law, Rabbi Gershon Schusterman, who I refer to as my shver. And I've been blessed to be his daughter-in-law for the past 22 years. And I've come to really appreciate and respect my shver every, even more each year. Now, over two years ago, I launched this podcast by interviewing my father-in-law, my shver. And that episode, which is episode number three of season one, was met with great reviews. And since then, he has completed writing his book that has been in the making for the past 30 plus years. And this book titled, Why God, Why? How to Believe in Heaven When It Hurts Like Hell, which I'm holding in my hands right now. It's a beautiful book, beautiful cover. I love the design as well. And here's a, bur- a blurb from the flap of the book or from the inside of the book that I took out. This is a book for the brokenhearted. It's a book for anyone who has gone through or going through a challenge. This is a book about the truth. It's about loss, suffering, and tragedy. It's about God and ultimately about hope. So first of all, thank you, Shreve, for being here and being willing to discuss this book and some of the questions that have come up while reading it. So one of the first observations that I had while reading it is I found myself thinking that it's quite incredible how many people that you personally knew that really experienced like some hardships and really real tragedies. 
know, I'm my husband and I have been shlichem here for 20 plus years, 20 years almost. And we've met many people who've experienced struggles and challenges, but nothing quite like what you've encountered in your years being a rabbi. Now I know there's, you have many years ahead of us, but this is just, it's not a question. This is just an observation that I had. Inevitably, we all go through uh, difficulties, challenges, crises, and tragedies. Hopefully, those that we can cope with, but it is universal and pervasive. I was once standing with a friend of mine at a gathering, and it was like a, sort of a, a bringing kind of party. And people were standing around and talking. And the person that I was talking to happened to be a very wise and sympathetic person. And he said to me, you see all these people here? And there were about 20, it was a men's event. 20 people, I know them all personally, and they all lean on me when they have difficult times. And look at them, they're smiling, they're happy, but I know what's really going on. They're all struggling. And the reality is, we life is, as, as your husband said at his bar mitzvah speech, life has its vicissitudes. And for some people, they are able to coast with them and the righteous fall seven times and they get up. Uh, even the righteous fall seven times. And the distinction between the righteous and others is how many times they get up and if they're able to get up another time so they end up standing. Um, I don't want to say that as you get older and wiser and have more experience, you'll notice more tragedies. <laughs> I hope not. I hope may Mashiach come and may uh, all tragedies be gone. But challenges and difficulties and losses. Uh, the book doesn't only address tragedies that are overwhelming. True. But serious loss is inevitable. Yeah. And it's built into the system. And for some people, it knocks them down. For some people, they take it more or less in stride. And the purpose of the book is to give a framework so that everyone can find the strength within themselves to keep moving forward. Yeah, this is true. So my first question is, this book took you over 30 years to produce. Like you, you literally, I remember, you know, I'm your daughter-in-law for 22 years. I've heard you talk about this book for many, many years. Um, I had my doubts if it was actually going to happen. <laughs> going to be honest. Me too. <laughs> but actually, doubts. But I, you know, knowing Schusterman, being married to Schusterman, I knew it was going to happen. It's just a matter of when and what would get it off the ground. So, what did you find so challenging about getting this off the ground? And what finally got you to this point that you were able to actually birth this this book? Interesting. Question. First of all, the, the genesis of this book, <clears throat> the content of the book is basic. Uh, it's all in Yiddishkeit, and it's in Yiddishkeit, it's in Torah, it's certainly Hasidus touches on it, and those ideas exist. Um, for those new listeners and who didn't hear the first podcast, 
my tragedy was the loss of my first wife uh, in 1986. Uh, suddenly, one Sunday morning, less than two weeks before Pesach, uh, she had an episode, an, a, a, a heart, a cardiac episode, and she passed away. Uh, we had 11 children, and that was totally unexpected. Um, and that changed the trajectory of my life, my family's life, my children's lives, and all those associated with her. She, she taught, she had a lot of friends. She taught in the Hebrew Academy in Orange County. And uh, the loss was very acute to them because she was a, a lovable person. And she left there, there, she left them so suddenly. Um, that was in April. In July of that year, July and August, our school had a very small amount of from people, observing people, but the majority were interested in a Jewish education along with a good secular education, which our school had. And uh, our hope that was that through their children, the families would, would get a little bit closer to tradition. And this, the, the passing of my first wife was a blow, not only to their friendship, but to their faith, to their developing faith. If there is a God, <clears throat> this rabbi and Rebison represent uh, humbly uh, speaking on God's behalf. And all of a sudden, one beautiful, sunny Southern California Sunday morning Rebison passes away. How do you deal with that? How does a person deal with it? How does a community deal with it? And how are they to reconcile that with uh, their slowly developing trust in a uh, non-visible God? But you're being told that he supervises and takes care of uh, the world and takes care of the Jewish people and takes care of the observant people not necessarily more or differently than others, but he's in charge. Well, what happened to his being in charge this Sunday morning? Uh, so I gave a course then, uh, seven, a seven week course, uh, once a week, over seven weeks. I still have the transcripts of that course. And when I compare it to the finished book, the, the basic concepts are all there. Wow. Um, and I said then that this might be worthwhile to publish in a book. One of the subjects which those of you who will read the book will find there was a Rabbi Harold Kushner um, who wrote a book, Why Bad Things Happen to Good People, um, which also was on this subject. Uh, the fancy word for it is theodicy, but the simple way is why do bad things happen to good people? Or how to believe in heaven when it hurts like hell? Um, and I said, but his, his answers were not rooted in traditional Jewish values and perhaps not, uh, not even in religious values, at least the, the conservative religions that I identify with in, in that he said, God uh, isn't that strong 
to overcome the forces of evil. I'm not going to elaborate more on this because. No, I actually have a question about that a little bit later. So we'll get to that soon. Um, so I said, somebody has to write a refutation of Rabbi Kushner's uh, thesis. Um, but meanwhile, life, life doesn't, you can't press the pause button on life. I was, run, I was still running to school for another few years after that. I had to move on to, to the challenges of running a family and running a large school. And I realized each one was a full-time job or full-time plus. Um, I looked around if anybody wanted to take care of my family. I couldn't find anybody to do that, but I did find somebody who will take care of the school. So that seemed to be the better decision. And since then, the idea of writing the book uh, never left me. And I kept gathering information and making notes and keeping files. Uh, they're a foot and a half deep of files, but actually getting down to writing the book. I didn't find the time. Um, on top of that, to write a book of this type, to write an academic book, there are many good academic books on this subject. Uh, and they're good for acad academicians and academia. Uh, I wanted it to be a popular book that the average person can read and relate to. And I realized, I've been told and told, you need to speak about yourself and your struggle and your process. Um, being a private person, I couldn't find it within myself to do that. I have to be honest, your interview or your podcast almost of two years ago, you rapid fire question after question. Uh, and uh, there was no shame. You just went straight for the jugular and I had to answer. Uh, and I did, and I did my best. And the feedback that I got from that podcast from people who heard it uh, was such that they were more impressed with my openness and my transparency about my process than my theology and my philosophy. And I realized that that was what was needed and that was a challenge for me. Wow. I'll, add, I'll add another interesting point. Even after that, I tried to every time, I don't know if I had writer's block or emotional block. I actually went to a therapist, uh, a renowned therapist in Los Angeles. Um, and I had two sessions with him, a Jewish guy, traditional Jewish man, a professor at UCLA. And he tried, he probed, he explored this, that, and the other thing. After the first session, he was ready to give up on me and I was ready to give up on him. But we decided to have a second session and three quarters of the way through the second session, I think both of us decided, yeah, one more session, uh, which was a waste of time. But just before we ended, he said, tell me, uh, Rabbi Shusterman, if you died tomorrow, how would you feel about the fact that the book had not been written? My first thought was, 
well, if I'm dead, I wouldn't worry about it too much. I knew you were going to say that. But I didn't actually verbalize that. That's what I thought. Uh, and I, that stayed with me for the next week or two or three. And that was the final straw that broke the camel's back. And that helped me take action. I got some uh, a writing coach who would motivate me and get me over the humps, help me with the initial stage. I got an editor that editors down the road. And um, I'm happy to say that today I have a published book. That's amazing. It's fascinating how the last minute in a session with a therapist, coach, anybody, Mashvia, usually can be the most powerful. And it's and this is something people don't realize also is that like at the end, you actually are left sometimes with a question. You don't walk out of, a, of the session saying, oh, I have clarity. It actually leads you to process it, which sounds like in your case. Was, exactly what happens. Right. That's fascinating. So in chapter five of your book, or I think at least the, the edit, the version that I read, it could be a little different. But in chapter five, you describe a scene where about five years after your young wife passes away and you're remarried to a wonderful person, my dear mother-in-law, Hannah Rachel Schusterman. And you're both on a summer trip in Israel for some much needed rest time. And your new wife turns to you and she asks you, how are you? Like, how are you really? And you describe this mini, what sounded like to me, like this mini form of like a panic attack or something like that. And then you found yourself in a therapist's office for a total of five times. And this therapist helped you sort out your issues. And two things hit me because later on in the book, you say that one cannot hold on to grief and must feel it to heal it, which we all know is true. Yet here, it seems that you managed to tame it until you finally exploded. And when it overflowed, you saw a therapist five times for two hours each time, and proof was all better, which was incredible to me. But I know you as you're a little different than the typical, um, you know, at least for me, different than me. But how could someone possibly unpack all that in total 10 hours? This is even humanly possible. Did you do follow-up sessions at any later point? Was this enough? So my question is really threefold. I'm not just trying to like, you know, my question is, number one, it seems like a little bit of a contradiction. Number two, how much can you actually unpack in 10 hours when you're dealing with a crisis that's this large? And you also describe that your, 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 your responsibilities, raising 11 children, running a large Jewish day school, it, it almost acted like a form of distraction or I don't want to say numbing, but it kind of had you having to, like, it was a coping mechanism. It, it got you through it in some way, even though technically it was numbing and it was distracting, but it, it got you, you had to show up. You couldn't fall apart. You had to do what you had to do. So I guess my question is, if though, if so, was that a healthy solution? Do you get what I'm asking here? Um, <clears throat> I think I know what you're asking and let me try to answer. Okay. Then you can follow up if I didn't answer it well enough. Fair enough. Number one, you do not mention that I went uh, for therapy for six months, and not long after my wife passed away. Okay. I went, I lived in, LA, in Long Beach and the therapist was in LA and I went for six months um, uh, on a regular basis. And that gave me a framework of it did help without without a doubt. Um, and your question is a very good question because 
what I am saying in that chapter is that even though I thought I had it together, I found out by that plots uh, were struggling. I would not call it a panic attack. I would call it a mini breakdown. I don't like to attribute that, ascribe that to me, but that would probably be more accurate than a panic attack. Um, I describe in, in the world start, I, I got dizzy. The world started turning around. Um, I became very pale I, um, and I got really frightened. And, it, and I, I do mention, and I remember it vividly, uh, the events of those years from the time my wife passed away until that moment, you read about it, those events flashed by in front of me as if in one second I saw the entire expanse of those years. So I knew exactly what this was related to. And that was the unfinished business, which in a certain sense, I had started it, done part of the work, but not enough. Again, I, I'm sorry that I'm talking about myself so much, but you're, you're asking it. Okay. Uh, I do have a strong constitution. I have strong faith in Hashem. And I, I, and I did have a good outlook at life uh, in the sense of a perspective, a Weltanschauung, which gave me the ability to, as you say, put my feelings on hold uh, and to cope and to, and, and to deal well while somewhere within me there was a lot more turmoil going on. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm hoping that with that prep, with the preparation of the six months of therapy early on and with who I am. And then I went to this therapist who I happened to know from Los Angeles who moved to Israel. And uh, she was very good. And we had long sessions. It wasn't, it wasn't the, the proverbial 50 minute sessions. We, were, we had, I think, two hour sessions, longer sessions. And she probed and probed and over a period of two weeks. We dealt with the issues and then I continued working with myself. And to this day, um, I, have, I still have issues to sort out. Um, Don't we all? You know, it's not done and, and finished. It, we are all a work in progress. This is true. Okay, well, I appreciate that answer. I think that's fair enough. I did not realize there was other times as well. And I think you are accurate. I think that you are a very strong person, you know, emotionally speaking. And everyone has a different level of what they can handle at different times. Um, I guess sometimes also I think that those behaviors, those things that we think that like the responsibilities that you had also were somewhat of a coping skill, but they, they kind of helped you get through those period of time. I don't know if necessarily we're always ready for that, you know, to do the hard work at the beginning. Sometimes we need to get through a period of time where we're coping and using those skills. And then eventually now, oh, now I, I see that I really need to do this. I need to do the work in that. In, in your case, that seems to be what happened as well. I want to step for a second back to something you mentioned earlier. You talked about Harold Kushner's book. So un until now, his book, Why Do Bad Things Happen to Good People, has been, let's say, the go-to book for those who are bereaved. I, I hear people mention it all the time. I actually never read the book. Um, you reference it in your book. If you can give us just a, tell us 
briefly, how does your book differ fundamentally from his book, from his, um, from his book, I guess? His book is founded on that religion is for the purpose of making life easy or cope uh, or copable. And if a person has a tragedy and things he cannot cope, uh, then it's the flaw of the of the of the creator of, of God and his religion that it doesn't seem to work. That was his, his thesis. And the answer that he answered is, indeed, God is great and God is wonderful and God is the creator, uh, but there's good and evil and God is on the side of good and he is, supports the people who are on the side of good and he comforts them, uh, but evil in the form of the tragedy that happened to his son and through his son happened to his family and others have suffered tragedies. Uh, that is outside of God's ability. God cannot, that evil has a force of its own. Mm -hmm. And God uh, will support you as you recognize that and battle with that, but he can't help you. Um, and to me, and, and to... What does he base that on? Does he have, like, is he using his own ideas, his own... Because it's not anything in line with Yiddishkeit, obviously. It's not in line with Yiddishkeit. There are some theologies, uh, uh, more liberal theologies, and I'm not talking within Judaism, in, in general, in the world theologies, that indeed have a weaker God. Um, but our God, the Jewish God, is all powerful, all good, uh, always in charge, and allows for evil. And I want to give away the book. I want people to get the book and read it. Yes. And you can't. It's it's, a, it's big enough, and, and you, you got to digest it page by page and chapter by chapter so that the ideas can come to rest with you. Uh, but he created an impotent God which is inconsistent with the omnipotent God that we that traditional religion of all religions identify with. I just don't know how that would be comforting. I guess somebody who myself who's who who finds religion to be very comforting for even the you know smaller challenges that I've dealt with in my life, immediately Yiddishkeit, Tyra oh, felt like something that I wanted to lean into to help me. So I don't understand how it would, I couldn't be comforted by the idea that my God is weak. I, I don't know how, how well, anyone does, but. Um, interesting, Lev, a, a lot of people that I've spoken to are not uh, uh, religious that I met, met in the 80s, uh, during that period, 86, 87, 88, also agreed that it, it ultimately was not comforting. On the other hand, if, if a person has a focus uh, that they expect God to make things good. And then you take God off the hook by saying, well, you had a mis misunderstanding about God's power. Uh, so God himself is frustrated and God sits beside you and cries with you uh, and comforts you in that sense. Mm -hmm. um, but I don't, 
It's not my job to defend okay. Robert Kushner's right. theology. Okay, I hear that. In another chapter, you talk about those few minutes, and you mentioned this actually in the first episode that we did together on our podcast, um, that after getting the news about your wife's passing, and you shared how you said to yourself, I quote, this is the opportunity to put all that you have learned and that you believe into the test. And I read that and I thought, gosh, like, wow, the average person when dealing with such a tragedy might go to, you know, just a place of anger first, fear, panic. You know, you talk about the different stages of grief in your book as well. It seems like you went right there. I mean, maybe, maybe you didn't. I'm just asking that as well. What do you attribute your way of thinking at that moment to? Is that truly how you reacted that the that moment that you got this news, did it come a little bit later? I'm, I'm curious because you mentioned it literally that it happened at the time. And most would describe that that's not so human to have that kind of reaction immediately. Or do you think it's more retrospectively that you had that feeling? I'd love to hear a little bit more about those few moments, if you don't mind, because it just seems amazing to me. Honestly, it's exactly how it happened. And I didn't have a script to follow that you can ask me, did you go off script? <laughs> That's exactly how it happened. Uh, it was before all my emotions can sweep over me. And I referenced in general, I had so many responsibilities that I could not afford to be emotional at that time. Not at that time and not on that day and not, not on the next day. It took a while before I had the luxury of allowing my emotions to, to deal with my emotions. That this was simply facing reality and trying to re, reassess or to assess for the first time what is the, what is the plan for now. Uh, up until this morning, I had many plans, many hopes, uh, immediate plans and long-term plans in our marriage, in our family. And that all suddenly in one moment was gone. Uh, and I had to ask myself, what now? And I articulated it to myself. I remember it wasn't a flash. It, I articulated that I had, you're a believer. You, you're, you've learned, you've counseled others, you've taught these ideas to others, you've sat with other uh, grief-stricken families. Um, and now I have to apply that to myself. Am I up to it? It's one thing to believe in general and to believe in the abstract. It's another thing to believe in, in the concrete and and. Con not concrete, concrete, and have it filtered down into you. And the question was, will it filter down? Am I up for it? I didn't doubt the principles, but will I be able to live with that? Hmm. And I didn't have an answer then. I, I wonder if it's also a generational thing. Like I think, you know, ideally, the question we should be asking ourselves is not why, why me? We should, what next? Like I, that's the ideal. And it seems like you went there, which I, I just, I, I just find that to be quite phenomenal. I, I really do. I, in the moment, I, I, you know, in that a split second, I, 
and I hear that. I hear that you didn't have the time, the luxury. I get it. I just still find it to be incredible. Um, so I just want to say that as well, because I think that most people just would either, you know, stomp their feet, have a little bit of a tantrum, scream, yell, bang the wall, at best, nothing. It's just, I just, I find that amazing. Just saying. Okay, I'm going to stop now. Uh, um, I know that you address this next question in detail in your book. You, you give the readers an insight, an insight into this, but just if you can give the listeners a bit of an insight to look for a minute, you share that during a crisis or challenges, people will need to draw on many sources of strength, prayer, time with friends, study, introspection, even arguing with God when you need to you know, take the time necessary to deal with the crisis. Tell, tell us why. Why is this that you think that people need to be doing these steps? Number, you you listed a long list of things, uh, and they're all they're all necessary, but there are the, the order of them doesn't matter. No, the order is okay. important. Okay. The first thing is you need when you need to deal with a crisis, when you need to deal with a problem, you need to be able to break the problem down to its components so that you know what you have to deal with. If you don't break it down to its components, then it's one big burden and, and it, you, you, there's no way to grab it. So the first thing is you have to have introspection. You have to know what, do you, on the practical level and on the emotional level, what is, what is going on you have to ask yourself and define it to yourself. Once you do that, then you have to ask yourself, and how do I strengthen or fix each of these areas? And how do I fortify myself going forward? You know, your car doesn't work. You say, my car doesn't work. That doesn't help too much. Um, uh, if you know something about a car, you would open up the hood, turn on the engine, and see what's not working or listen to what's not working. And then you can identify where the problem is. Uh, some people are mechanically inclined and they know they get the car towed to their own driveway and they spend four hours uh, taking apart certain parts and putting it together again. And the car works again. Some people will tow it into a, uh, to a mechanic. Uh, if you can find an honest mechanic, they will fix it for you. Same thing goes on with the person. When a person has a crisis, he needs to assess what's going on with him. And then he has to figure out, uh, can he fix it himself? If not, he can use a therapist, he can use a, a, a clergyman, he can, use a, um, uh, he can use prayer, talk to God. Sometimes uh, you need to um, express to God clearly and bluntly in a positive way, God, why are you doing this to me? It's not just a a a a blaze of anger. Uh, you lost your as we are all prone to do one time or another. Uh, you lose your temper. It's not a question of losing your temper to, on God. It's a question of having a serious talk with God. Why is it something that I did wrong? Uh, is this the way it's supposed to be? Is this just and uh, 
in the, in the book I discussed that th there's a rich Jewish tradition from Abraham to Moses to King David to Jeremiah to Eov to Job. They all were faithful to God. They all struggled, ha had challenges from things that God did. And they didn't run away and they didn't uh, lose their temper at God, but they spoke to God and demanded of God uh, that he fix things. So we, we have a tradition that we're allowed to do that. And I, I tried my yeah. best. You shared in your last chapter of the book, a letter that you received from the Lubavitcher Rebbe after your wife passed. You mentioned it. I don't, I don't, I don't know if you mentioned, I don't remember exactly, but can you share with us what this letter entailed and, and what it meant to you to receive this letter? Uh, yes, you're, you're a good uh, uh, interviewer. Okay. Uh, and again, you're going to get me to say things that um, I wouldn't want to say, but I will say it. Maybe it'll help others. I'm sure it will. The Rebbe's response, I'm not going to quote it in Hebrew and translate, but the basic response was when the, when the Abishta gives a person a mission and a task and a challenge, it is undoubtedly undoubtable that uh, he doesn't say it, but it's obvious that he means this is from God and it's for a purpose. And if you have that challenge, it means that God has confidence in you that you have the ability to carry this burden. Otherwise, he would not have given it to you. And Rebbe gets down into the weeds and especially in your situation, or particularly in your situation, uh, when you are now um, uh, challenged or empowered, there are both sides of that there, to, to carry out not only your task as a father, but also to carry out the task of a mother to the extent possible. And when I got that answer, I was not a happy man. Uh, I, I wanted more, I think the word in English is sakar, support, um, something positive. Um, I, I know how you, what you're going through. I, I know what you're feeling. Uh, and I didn't get much of that. This was, uh, the Rebbe's straightforward marching orders. Um, it took me a while for me to, uh, I got the idea, I got the message, um, but it took months for me to come to terms with the message and that the message was, come on, I'm not going to baby you. You're a big boy. You can do this. I know you. Uh, I've known you since you were a kid. I've been in the Rebbe's room uh, many times. I've written to the Rebbe many times. I understand you. You're up to it. So don't, uh, don't back off. And 
my confidence in you that you you know the truth. This is the truth. The Rebbe is telling me the truth for me. And hopefully I was able to uh, put on my big boy pants and wear them going forward. Wow. I have a lot coming up as I'm listening to you say that. I think a lot of people are going to find that to be helpful for them too. I'm going to dare to say that I think the Rebbe knew who he was talking to. Hope so. I think so. Um, okay. In the afterward, or I don't know what you call that in the part of the of your book, you leave us with some parting thoughts. And it's up to us to make our losses matter. You believe, you write that the things that happen to us aren't just arbitrary. They happen for a reason and a purpose. According not just to you, but to Yiddish guy, it's up to, it's up to us to try to make sense of our loss and become better for them to grow because of them, basically post-traumatic growth. So would you be open to sharing with us that this many years later, how have you changed? How have you grown and become a different person from your loss? We'll see. <laughs> okay. I'm still going to be your daughter-in-law at the end of this um, podcast, right? In year to Hashem, yes. <laughs> okay. The first thing is, anyone who's listening to this podcast, I would challenge them to ask themselves, looking back at their lives, whether they're 20 years old now, 50 year old, years old now, 75 years old now, and ask themselves, they've had good times and they've had bad times. They've changed over the decades and over the years. Uh, and ultimately, they became, God will, hopefully, more wiser and more mature. They need to ask themselves, not me, ask themselves, which issues in their lives help them mature, get stronger, and get wiser? The good times or the bad times? The answer, everyone knows, the good times are nice. And we hope we have good times all the time, but that simply is not sustainable. Life has its ups and downs, and it is the challenges that we do overcome that give us the wisdom and the maturity uh, that makes us ultimately who we are. Um, I reference it in the book. Just as there is, you know, using the body as the uh, analogy for, for the soul and for the character, um, a person who never exerts himself is risking illness over the long haul. Uh, but if he doesn't want to engage in any pain, no pain, no gain, and therefore he will end up without gain. Uh, present company excluded. Couch potatoes are not generally happy and not healthy um, because they don't want to risk um, the pain. So they sit and become couch potatoes. People who get up and go, uh, engage in challenges, they, they, they win some, they lose some, uh, and, but by engaging, they grow 
and know, know how to deal with life better. Um, so in a general sense, uh, what, what I'm saying should be obvious to everybody from just reviewing their own personal life. Um, for myself, I referenced something, some of these issues in the book. Um, the, the year after my wife passed away was extremely difficult. And for me at least, rather than focus on my pain and loss, I suddenly realized I'm not so unique. I started seeing with a different sensitivity other people's pain. And I was able to empathize with them much more. That's something that at that stage in my life, I hadn't adequately developed. And that helped me a lot more. Uh, after I left my uh, job at the Hebrew Academy, a few years later after I remarried and I couldn't continue doing uh, both jobs, running the school and running my family and nurturing a new marriage. Um, I had to reinvent myself. I had to go into other fields that I had never wanted to, never cared for. Business is something I didn't want. I wanted to be a, a rabbi running an educational institution. We had, at, at the good times, we had 400, over, between four and 500 kids, 80 employees, and uh, and 18 school buses. I mean, think of the 18 school buses. Uh, it was a big job, but it's it, every morning I woke up that everything that I did had one singular purpose to educate Jewish children. Uh, and I did it, and I did it with joy. It wasn't an easy job, but I did it with joy. And now, is, now uh, going into business was a self centered uh, purpose. I didn't. I didn't take easily to that, even though I may have been financially more successful than had I otherwise, but that was, I had to reinvent myself and figure out different, a different direction to the purpose of my life. But, but this is true for all of us at every level. I hear that. So after all is said and done, and the highest level is, can we actually say afterwards, Eit Hashem Kenafta be? The ultimate, which is, I thank you, God, for having um, afflicted me, or... afflicted me, snubbed me. Yeah, that, that as the beginning of that pasuk is, the Amata Bayim Hahu, you will say on that day when Mashiach comes. That's what we can say. Mashiach <laughs> is not actually here yet. We are on this side of the divide. And while we may believe it, but we can't say that. Uh, completely. Right. Uh, that's one of the reasons, among the many other good and legitimate reasons, that's why we need Mashiach. Right. I hear that. So let's finish off by, if what would you share with somebody who's listening to this podcast right now and is going through a very difficult challenge, be it in their personal life with their children, their marriage, their life, tragedies, whatever it is, and they're 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 in the midst of it right now. They're getting up from Shiva. They're getting up. They're, they're, they're dealing with it. What would you say to them to help them move forward? 
would it be irreverent if I said they should buy my book? Okay, that was. Well, I think so too, but if, let's give them a little bit of time. Maybe words could be before they're ready to even read. They need to dig deeper within themselves and find their connection with Hashem. That is the essential answer. How do you find that, is, that connection with Hashem? Uh, go to your Rav, go to your Mashpia, go to your counselor. That is the, the ultimate answer is that's where the strength comes from. The strength comes from find your neshama. Everybody has a neshama. A neshama has to be nurtured. How do I nurture my neshama? Uh, the, the answer doesn't come from outside. The answer has to come from within. But you might, just as I, I'm not comparing the two, just as for me to actually get on to writing the book, I needed help from others to kick me into place or to guide me in certain details, uh, to find access to one's personal neshama, uh, a Rebbe helps, a Mashpia helps, a, a, a therapist who is sensitive to the spiritual side of life can help. Um, a dear friend who cares for you uh, can help. Um, uh, learning, learning Hasidus, learning Musr, learning what to learn. You need to ask someone knowledgeable to guide you what to learn to help you find the, the access to your neshama and your neshama's relationship with Hashem. But it's a process. It's a process. And if you can't do it on your own, there are people out there uh, willing and ready to help you. You say, if you can't do it on your own, it almost sounds to me like you're not supposed to do it on your own. It almost sounds like it's almost impossible to do it on. You should be doing it with others. It's not meant to be done alone. Or am I wrong on that? Um, some people can do it alone. Possibly some people, few and far between. Uh, Talmud uses uh -huh. an expression, one who is imprisoned, cannot uh, free himself. You can't pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. Right. Um, so it does help. To, and there's a Pasuk in Mishlei. I don't know if I write it in the book, but, but at all times, love a friend and a brother will blossom, will materialize uh, in a time of sorrow. And, and the Gemara says that the friend that you're looking for is Hashem. At all times, lo love Hashem. And in a time of tzara, in a time of crisis, Hashem will materialize not only as a friend, but as a supporting brother or sister or, or tzaddik. In other words, you have to find that relationship and find who can help you develop that relationship. Sometimes the friend is so close that it doesn't have to blossom. He's there all along. Some people have an ongoing relationship with Hashem and can deal with this more easily. And others uh, need other and others need others to help them break it down so that they can find the path forward. Good enough. I um, appreciate your time. Is there any other parting words you want to share with us about your book? End of a little 
cute and very profound story about the Kleisenberger Rebbe who lived through the Holocaust. He survived, his wife and 11 children did not. And he ended up eventually going to Israel and starting his personal life again and re recreating a community in, uh, in Eretz Yisrael, built a, built a room hospital. Somebody once asked him, after all that you went through, do you have any questions? And he said, I do. I really do. Uh, but Hashem said to me, you have questions? Come, come to me, speak to me. I'll answer all your questions. But I decided, the Kleisenberger ever said, I'd rather be down here with the questions than be there with him with the answers. Uh, our mission is to be on earth, to be on this world, to make this world a godly place and to make our personal lives godly through the crisis. Make, when I say through the crisis, going through the crisis and continuing. And in some ways, the crisis will make you stronger and more faithful. Um, there will be times to deal with Hashem in Gan Eden. Uh, hopefully, Mashiach comes before we have to make it to Gan Eden, so we'll get the answers down here. Um, but there is a path, and there is a direction, and there is a roadway there. And you have to read the signs and ask those who can help you make your way to the destination. There's something that came up as you were as you were just saying the story. One of the things that helps us humans get through difficult times is by reaching, helping others. Like it, it helps us. And it's interesting because you didn't mention it here. I don't, I don't remember exactly if you talk about this. I mean, getting out of yourself, you do, man, you do reference it. But as an, uh, you know, being your daughter-in-law and knowing you personally, I would say that's also something that I have noticed that you do. That's probably one of the ways that you are continuously taking this tragedy and turning it and turning it around, meaning being there for other people. Other people go through difficulties. They, they call you. They want to speak to you about it. It gives them comfort. You got through it. I can get through it. And you do that for other people. And I would say that that's something that came out of this. That's, that's a beautiful thing that helps so many people. So it's, it's just something I wanted to mention as well. I really appreciate your time. Thank and, you for having me. Um, it's really a pleasure. And um, may we only know of happy times and good times. Let us grow through, you know, muscle pains or something like that. Please, Hashem. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you found today's podcast to be interesting and insightful. If you have any questions or comments and you would like to be in touch with me, you can reach me through my website at apositivecoach.com. If you're curious to hear more about positive coaching and you'd like to set up your free consultation, please reach out through my website, apositivecoach.com. If you would not like to miss any of the upcoming episodes, hit the subscribe button and it will let you know when new shows are released. And if you could take a moment to leave a rating or a review, it would mean a lot to me and it's gonna help others be able to find our podcast easier. Thank you so much for being here and wishing you a positive day.